Hello, open arms, and you are so welcome to Vision Sunday. I can't wait to share with you what God has laid on my heart for our church and for our next season into our future. And as you can see, uh, we're no longer in our recording studio, but we've turned our main auditorium into our recording studio. We're also getting ready for Good Friday this coming week and also Easter Sunday. And we'd love for you to join with us and bring your family together Friday. Friday at 6.30 and also Sunday at 11 a.m. But today our scripture reading is found in John chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. If you'd love to turn with me there, grab your phones, grab your notebooks and your pens. Let's lean in together to hear what God is speaking to us as a church, but also to us individually in our own lives. And just to give you some pretext to John chapter 2. Straight away, we can see in John 1 that Jesus has been baptized. He is then going and gathering his very first disciples. And now he's waiting for God to give him the go-ahead to begin his ministry and start off his ministry that will just last for three years, as we know, until the crucifixion and resurrection. And this story, in which we're about to read today, is the very first recorded miracle of Jesus' ministry. And it is a statement of what Jesus has the power to do. He has the power of transformation, turning water into wine, turning slavery into freedom, turning uh, sinfulness into purity, and turning death into new life. We see in verse 1, On the third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. This was a village just north of Nazareth, the town in which Jesus was raised up in and brought up in. And Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And many scholars believe that this was a large and prominent wedding that the those in the town were attending, and these weddings would last for over a week of a party and a celebration. Then something awful happens. You can't imagine this ever happening at an Irish wedding. The wine was gone. And Jesus' mother said to him, to Jesus, they have no more wine. Now, this would have been devastating thing to happen. It would have damaged the reputation of both families. It would have not only brought an end to the party, but it would have completely ruined the wedding. And Mary, she notices this before it comes to the point of public knowledge and she takes the problem to her son to be solved. In verse 4, Jesus responds, he says, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. In the message translation, it says, this isn't my time. Don't push me. She went ahead anyway, telling the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. I love this because it's, it's such a mammy thing, isn't it? It's exactly what our moms would do. But we must understand that this is not Mary dismissing her son and what he has said. But she knows and understands the power that he has to perform miracles because she knows who he is. And in verse 6 it says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now, this, in our language, would be 100 liters each in which would fill 800 bottles of wine. Now, let me just do the math for you. Math for you. 800 bottles by six stone jars is 5,000 
5,000 bottles of wine. This is even going to be a bigger party than they could ever imagine. This is probably going to be like the parties and the weddings that's going to happen in Ireland after lockdown and after COVID. This is incredible. In verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. The master of the banquet was the wedding organizer, the one who would be in charge of all the details and the food and the wine and where everything was going to go. And it says they did so. Verse 9, And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Here's the title of my message today. It's more of a a question than it is a statement is this. Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe that Jesus has the power to perform miracles today in your life, in your situation, in your family, through what you are going through? And if the answer is yes, yes, I believe in miracles, then what would you ask Jesus to do in your life right now? What miracle would you ask of him to perform in your life in this moment, through this situation, right now, today? Do you believe in miracles? The miracle of of turning water to wine, it's a demonstration of the wonder-working, miraculous power that Jesus holds, that Jesus has. It represents as Jesus has the power to transform our lives, to transform everything in our lives as we release our life and our situation into the palm of his hand. You see, In life, we are all like uh, this jug of water right here. We are just like plain water, just like everyone else. Now, no matter how hard we may wish for and, and want it and work for it, we could never possess miracle working power. We could never hold the transformational power that Jesus has. It is impossible. But when we encounter Jesus... And when we discover him and we begin to enter into a relationship with him and we allow him to come into our life, what happens is we experience his transformational power working in us. And what happens is he begins to change our very identity. He begins to change us from the inside out. We begin to experience his transformational power working in our lives from turning water into wine, turning brokenness into wholeness, turning people who are hopeless to have a purpose. Now here's the thing. We are still you and me. We're still ourselves, but Jesus, he changes the substance of our lives. He changes our lives from the inside out. And now we live our lives with Jesus living and active in me. Now we are living with the one who is alive in me, who holds the transformational miracle working power in our lives. Now it's not just me. It's both us together. Now he is living and active in my life. Now the question that we ask from this and from this truth and Here's the truth that I want us to grasp. The truth is this. Jesus has the power. 
Jesus holds the miracle working power and we don't. That's the truth. Now this is great because this takes all the pressure off us. This does not sit on our shoulders. This does not come down to us because we need Jesus in our lives. We need him to transform us from plain water into someone new, to change our very identity in order to see a miracle working in our life. We need Jesus. Now the question is, what do we need to do in order to see this miracle working power become active in our lives? What do we need to do in order to see the miracles that we are praying for come to pass? And here's the answer. We need to believe. We need to have faith. Now, this is rudimentary, I know. Nine out of ten Christians, no matter how long they'd read the Bible or went to church, they would all know that answer straight away. In fact, we teach this to our children in kids' church and Sunday school to, to believe and to have faith. But we all know through our own experiences, it's not that simple. It's not that easy. You see, it's what we do with the faith that we have that makes the difference. It's how we use the faith that we have that is important. You know, we all have potential, great potential. But so many of us will get to the end of our lives with unused potential. So many of us will get to the end of our lives having dreams and passions and visions that would die with us because we never used the potential. You see, I may just have as much faith as you and be just as faithful as you or let's say St. Patrick or Pope Francis or the Apostle Paul. But what makes the difference is not how faithful or how full of faith we are. It's what we decide to do with the faith that we have that makes the difference. It's how we use our faith, how we put our faith into practice and apply our faith that makes the difference. Martin Luther King said it like this. He said, I can choose to live and die for the cause of racial unity and freedom. Or I could give up the opportunity and live a longer and safer life until I'm 90. But the truth will be, I'm just as dead as a young man as I am at 90 if I give up living for the cause to which I'm called to. Fortunately, so many Christians live this way. We live as Christians with the miraculous, wonder-working power alive in us. But yet, it is unused. Yet, we never tap into it by using the faith that we have. Yet, we never actually see Jesus working and active and living in us because we never allow him to. What happens is, We don't see him transforming our lives. We don't see him performing miracles in our lives through the hopes and the dreams and the visions and the passion that we have. Now, I've been wrestling with this thought because I look at my faith and I look at the faith of the men and women in which who I admire and I see the great things that they're experiencing in their lives. I see the great things that they're doing for God and I ask the Lord, Lord, what is the difference between their faith and my faith? You ever ask that question? Like, what am I missing out here? What am I not grasping? What am I not getting? And here's how God revealed it to me and how I saw it in this scripture. That we are to believe and to release. We are to believe 
and to release. We are to believe and then to let it go and to live our lives as if believing that it will be. You know, we often say that we believe and in our heart we truly do, but we don't release, we hold on to it. You know, we may say as our statement of faith becomes, you know, often unknowingly and unconsciously that I believe, but at the same time, not enough to release. We may say, Lord, I believe for your financial provision in my life, but not enough to release my tithe. I believe for your safety over my children, but not enough to release them into your hands. Lord, I believe for your protection and your health in my marriage, but not enough to release it to placing you at the center. Lord, I believe for your favor in my career, but not enough to release my plans and to follow your guidance. Lord, I'm believing for your, your full healing and for forgiveness, but I'm not willing to release my hurt and my pain of my past. Lord, I, I, I'm willing to release and believe that you will protect me and, and care for me, but not enough to release my anxiety and my worry. You see, so many of us, we live as Christians making the statement that I believe, but not enough to release. Now, I don't say this to bring condemnation because we all do this, every single one of us. It is an innately human response in all of us. I don't say this to bring condemnation, but instead, I say this to bring hope because imagine how our lives would be transformed if we believed and we released. Imagine if we said, Lord, I believe that you're the Lord of my life and therefore I release every area of my life. Imagine how our lives would change. Imagine the transformation that we would experience, the miracles of provision and of favor and of guidance and of protection and healing and health in our marriages and, and safety for our children and, and great favor and great guidance and direction in our careers. Imagine how our lives would change if we made this statement, I believe, and we believed it, and we released, and we let it go, and we released it into the hands of Jesus Christ. I believe that we would experience his transformational power. Let's look at this scripture with this perspective and see how this applies. And as we ask the question, at what point in the miracle, at what point did the miracle of transformation from water to wine take place? See if you can notice it when you look in the story. You see, almost ignoring Jesus, after he says, my time has not yet come, Mary says, do whatever he tells you. And pointing at the six empty stone jars, Jesus says in verse 7 to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Now, as I was asking this question and researching and studying, you know, at what point did the miracle of transformation happen? At what point did it take place? So I began just to write out the scripture again and again and re-reading it and re-reading it until these three words stood out me. They did so. They did so. 
What did Mary say right at the beginning? Do whatever he tells you. Then Jesus instructed them. He told them what to do and it says they did so. No questioning, no doubting, no wondering, no what if, no maybe, no waiting, but obedience in taking action in what was spoken, they did so. You see, I believe it was at the point of taking action in what Jesus had said, then releasing it to the master that the miracle took place. It was in this moment. Can you imagine what, what that was like in this moment? Can you imagine as the servants, and we may be able to relate to this because this happens in so many of our lives, as Jesus tells us to do something, and they take and they draw out the water and they begin to pour it into a cup to take it to the master. I'll, I'm going to ask my dad to come up to, to show what this might be like. Imagine what this was like for the servants. You're looking very sharp. <laughs> and they were bringing this to the master of the banquet. And they were handing it over. But imagine what it was like if it was me or you. I'd be like, I'd be just, I just need to check it for a moment. I just need to see if it's going to take place. And then going, okay, I'll finally do it. But no, I need to see. I need to see maybe if it's going to change right at the point of releasing. And what happens for many of us, we're reluctant to release. For what's even worse is we can turn around and we can actually choose to hold on to it for the rest of our lives because we're afraid that if I release it and let go, what if nothing happens? What if nothing changes? You see, so many of us have had this moment in our life where we may feel the Lord speaking to us or sense it or, or believing that Jesus has told me to do this, to believe and to release. But what happens is we keep checking it and rechecking it, wondering and doubting and questioning what will happen. What happens is we choose to hold on to it because we're not seeing what Jesus said would be so, so we hold on to it rather than releasing it into the master's hand and then being able to see the miracle take place. Enjoy the water. Thanks so much. <laughs> what about in your own life? Where do you need a miracle in your life right now? What miracle are you asking for? What do you sense Jesus calling you to have faith in, to believe in, and to release it? Maybe you're praying for your spouse, your partner, to fully believe in Jesus. Maybe you're praying for the provision of a home. Maybe it's in trying for a baby. Maybe it's in seeing the realization of your dreams and your passions take form. Maybe it's in experiencing breakthrough in your career or breakthrough in your mindset, breakthrough in your thinking. Maybe it's to finally receive true healing and peace and forgiveness, whether physically, mentally, or emotionally. The question is, will you choose to believe and to release? And in your releasing, I believe from Scripture, from experience, from great men and women of faith who have gone before us that God will perform a miracle in our releasing. I know it's not simple, as simple as that. It's not as simple as believing and releasing, and yet, yet it is so. Because there's not much more that we can do, is there? Yes, of course, we can, in some areas of our life, we can work harder. We can turn to medicine and science. We can save more. 
we can study more. We can become better people, wiser people, stronger people, fitter people. These are all, you know, options and opportunities in our life that is within our ability, that is in, within our power. And yes, we, we can do all of those things, and I believe that we should do all that we can do and then trust God to do what only he can do. But unfortunately, instead what we choose to do is we choose to worry more. We choose to become more anxious. We choose to put more pressure on the situation. Maybe to manipulate it. Maybe we become more obsessed with it. Maybe we try and form the problem to be fitted into the solution, artificially creating the answer or the provision or even the solution while never fully releasing and believing, making the statement, I believe, but not enough to release. I want to ask you, are you willing to believe for a miracle? Are you willing to trust that Jesus will do what he has said even when you are not seeing anything happen? Even when still, when you're handing the water over, it's still water. It hasn't turned into wine. You said it would be. Will you still trust him and release it and believe it? I'm not asking you to have more faith, but rather to use the faith that you have. I'll never forget the moment for me personally, sitting in the consultant's room at the Rotunda Maternity Hospital in January 2018. The consultant was showing us the facts, showing us on the screen in black and white the exact future would be of our unborn son using language such as deformities, syndromes, it's not severe consequences and Maybe it actually won't be a great future, won't be a long future, and trying to encourage us to maybe take another option. I remember at that moment, both myself and Gillian just feeling completely deflated, feeling defeated, not knowing what to do. For me, as the man in the situation, I was figuring out how is this going to work. I was making bargains with God. I will do everything you say. I will give everything if that's what it takes. You ever, you ever do this? You try and fix the problem. You try and make bargains. But then a, a kernel of a thought began to form in my mind. And it was a question. Do I believe in miracles? Do I believe in miracles? Am I going to choose to be a Christian who says yes and amen, shouts hallelujah, praise the Lord, but when I am facing in front of a reality when there is no other possibility, when the consequence of what we are going through and facing looks like it is completely a dead-end road, will I believe in miracles? Will I choose to trust and believe and release that and believe that Jesus will provide? And in that moment, both myself and Gillian, we chose to believe in miracles. We gathered some people, asked them to pray and stand with us in prayer. We fasted and prayed and, and we chose to believe and then continuously to release us every single week Continuously going back to the consultant, hearing the same report, the same news, the same facts, but leaving there believing that there will be a miracle. Right up until the last moment, until we did see our miracle, our miracle baby, Isaac, that's what we call him, our miracle baby. But here's, here's the thing. 
we truly made the decision that no matter the outcome, we will still believe. And you know what? Even after he was born, we have to still release. Because there's been so many times where our faith has been tested and yet we've still had to release. Believing and releasing is continuously a part of our lives no matter the situation and scenario. And I know from hearing your stories, I know that even in your own walk, your own journey, you have the same story, the same experience. It might be in a different context. It might be in a different capacity. But the action was still the same to believe and to release. And I also know that there's many of you that you've not yet seen your miracle come to pass. You're still holding on, still choosing to believe, and that is the most difficult place to be. That is the place that is incredibly hard because it's the hardest part because we've got to trust in his timing. Trusting in the waiting, and what happens is we become consumed with impatience. What if? When, Lord, when? When will you bring the change? When will you provide? When will it happen? When will the pain stop? When will the provision come through? When will the change take place? When will I truly experience the fulfillment of your promise because you told me it would happen? You said it would be so and it has not happened. Perhaps you're asking that question right now. Perhaps this is the narrative and the conversation that you're having in your own faith walk with God. You've trusted and you've believed to this point, but you're becoming to begin to become frustrated of the delay that you're experiencing. You know that the miracle is in process. You know that, you understand it, but you're frustrated with the delay of it the timing of it, the process of it. You begin questioning when you see others who are experiencing their miracle. They're walking in their miracle. It, it looks like that they are actually receiving what they've been asking for, and yet here you are still there, not yet seeing what you've been praying for. You see, even though the miracle of transformation may have taken place in the releasing of water to the master, that's where the process ended but it's not the full picture of the miracle. You see, the process of the miracle began in discovering the problem, then taking it to, to Jesus for action, and then obeying every command without knowing the exact process or even the outcome that will come about. You see, the problem was there is no wine. The solution is, well, more wine. Get more wine. But how the solution would take place was not known by anyone, not even by Mary herself. You see, our difficulty in believing and releasing is that we want to know the miracle, the process that the miracle will take place. And that's not for us to know. But only to trust that Jesus will bring the problem to a solution. Trusting that it will be done. Trusting that he knows what he's going to do. He knows how he's going to do it. And he knows when it will come to pass. And see what we see that happens next is as the servants, as they release the water to the master of the banquet, doing so what Jesus had said. And as he tastes the water that had been turned into wine, he then calls the bridegroom aside and he says in verse 10, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. You see, 
this is the natural human way. This is the way that things are supposed to happen. This is the way that things should be. This is where the process follows a very natural sequence of order. I work for it. I believe for it. I pray for it. I ask for it. And it happens. That's the natural order. Best first. However, in the kingdom of God, there is a different approach. This is now not how God operates. You see, God allows us to get to the end of ourselves where he then is able to have his way. He allows us to get to the end of ourselves where we need him more than ever. In fact, we need him so much that all we need is him. And it's at this place in which the master of the banquet says these words, but you have saved the best till now. See, God saves the best for last. He saves the best for last. Just when you thought it couldn't happen, God comes through. Just when you thought you were going to give up, pack it in, God gives you hope. Just when you thought that it was the last minute it wasn't going to happen, God provides. Just when you thought that there was no way that it could happen, God makes a way. You see, you may think that God is delaying when he is fully aware of your time. He is fully aware of your life. He knows your life from every detail right down to the hair on your head. You may have experienced a disappointment when it's God is making way for a divine appointment in your life. He saves the best for last and the best is yet to come for your life. Your miracle is on its way. You just need to keep believing, keep trusting, keep releasing. The best is yet to come. Come on, say that in your heart. Believe that in your life that I believe that the best is yet to come for me. I believe that the best is yet to come for my family, for my career, in my situation. I believe that God will provide. He has said it. It will be so. He's in the process of working a miracle in my life and I will trust him in his timing. My greater days are ahead of me and not behind me. I believe that the best is yet to come. You know, for us as a church, I believe that the best is yet to come for us in open arms and for our future. In fact, I believe that we now live in the face of the greatest opportunity that we've ever received as a church and as a people. And our opportunity is to reach and influence the nation of Ireland with the gospel of Jesus Christ by building a large and life-giving church. And I believe that the time is now. This is the moment. I believe that this is the time in which God is calling us to step out with audacious faith, believing that Jesus is with us. He is building his church, a church that the gates of hell will not prevail, a church that is expansive, a church that is growing and is moving, a church that is alive. And I believe that this is the moment. This is the time for the church to rise in Ireland. I believe that God's going to do something new in our lives and in our land that we have never seen before. The floodgates are going to break and 
the wave of the Holy Spirit will sweep swiftly through our land. And he will do it in such a way where people will turn to Jesus to seek hope and life, to seek out community, to seek out friendships and like-minded people who are grounded in God's word. They are going to seek out him in his church. Therefore, I believe that we need to be ready because we want everyone to be welcome at open arms. We want everyone to find a seat. We want everyone to have a place. We want everyone to be able to find a home in our church. We want people to be able to find a space and a place and a home in our church. Therefore, we need to prepare our space to welcome every single person into one of our locations, whether that's in Dublin or in Kildare or even online like this. So therefore, our vision for these next five years is to build a large and life-giving church that will reach 2,000 people. That's our vision. 2,000 people in the next five years by 2026. 2,000 lives changed. 2,000 eternities changed and formed forever. 2,000 men, women, and children who will be the church in their sphere of influence, in their schools, in their workplaces, in their homes and communities, being the church, impacting those around them. And 2,000, it's just the beginning. It's just the next step. Next will be 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 10,000. And then we will raise up the next generation to carry on the mission and vision of open arms, reaching the nation of Ireland and beyond. So how are we going to do this? Uh, how are we going to prepare our space and expand our space to, in order to welcome 2,000 people into our church in the next five years? Well, firstly, we're going to relaunch open arms in physical locations in Dublin and in Kildare. Now, I know the question that's on the tip of everyone's tongues is, when will we be meeting again in physical form? When will we be gathering again? Well, fortunately, that is outside of our control and the timing is outside of our control, but what is in our control is the how how we will relaunch, how we will restart and be able to meet again. And we know and believe and we're ready as a staff and as a team as when we get to go ahead, we're going to be able to execute the plan. It will be gradual at first, but we are fully confident that we will be at full capacity in the near future, strengthened again in Dublin, in Kildare, and then ready to step into the next path and next season of our vision and move forward in our vision. So here's the second part of how we will reach 2,000 people by 2026, and it's this. We're going to launch Open Arms Church in Nace. We believe that God is calling us to step out with audacious faith and to plant a church in the growing community of NACE. Now, NACE has undergone incredible expansion over these last 10 years and it's on the doorstep of Dublin. We see many young people like families like myself are moving there. It is growing and we believe that God is calling us to step out and launch Open Arms Church in NACE. And so what we're going to be doing is we're, when we relaunch open arms in physical form and physical locations. We're then going to be preparing a, a team from Dublin and Kildare to come together to begin the foundations of planting a church in Nace. And the final part of how we will 
reach 2,000 people by 2026? Well, after a series of meetings and conversations with our eldership board, with our building team, with some of the mentors in my life, and, and after myself taking some time just to, to pray and fast and see, you know, what is God saying? What is the next step? I believe that God is calling us to take the audacious step of buying a large building in South Dublin. Purchasing a large building that will be our home. Purchasing a building that will be able to house and allow us to grow to over 1,000 people in Dublin in the next few years. And our goal is to purchase a 15 to 20,000 square foot office and warehouse space with an auditorium seating capacity of over 500 people. And in this building, it will include a number of different amenities like a large kids' church facility, uh, also space for a youth ministry, and also a counseling center that will be able to provide emotional support for those in our community. The building will also include a, a state-of-the-art auditorium. It will also have a recording studio in that to be able to expand our online reach. We believe that online is here to stay. We will have three locations in Dublin, in Newbridge and Kildare, and also online. And it will also have a cafe and lounge area that will be open to the community for people to, to gather. Also, we're going to be partnering with local schools and outreaches to be able to use the facility because we want this to be a spiritual hub in the community. We want to be able to serve our community by being the church in which God has called us to be and build a large and life-giving church in South Dublin. So we've been in the process of, of already working with this. We've already in the process of drawing up architectural plans of what this space will look like and feel like. We have already acquired a professional agent who will find us the most suitable building according to our needs. And so we're going to be launching a fundraising campaign in September and bringing it to you, our church, open arms as a whole, to raise four million euros. Four million euros to purchase a large building that will become our home in South Dublin. It says it, 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 it sounds so much easier when you say it fast. Four million euros. But here's the thing. We believe that it is a God-given vision. We believe that the Lord is in this. We believe that he's been growing us and preparing us. We believe that he's been strengthening us like never before. So therefore, we believe that God will provide. How does he provide? Through people like you and me. He, he provides by us, by, by stepping out and being a part of us. But here's what we will do. We will believe and we will release. And we will believe and trust in Jesus who has the power, the transformational power to perform miracles. We believe that he's calling us as a church to build a large and life-giving church that will reach 2,000 people in the next five years by 2026. How? By relaunching our physical locations in Dublin, Kildare, by launching a, a new church, Open Arms Church in Nace, and also by buying a large building in South Dublin. 
Now all I ask for you to do in this time and in this season as we prepare over the coming months to get ready for uh, truly launching the fundraising campaign and, and making the preparations to relaunch and visit locations and then get ready to prepare the foundations of, of planting our church in Nace, I ask that you pray for us. Hey, would you pray for our leadership? I'm asking, would you pray for me? Because you know what? This is going to require great resilience, continuously releasing and believing and trusting Pray for me, pray for our family, pray for, for open doors of favor, pray for incredible generosity and provision. And I'm asking you to pray about the part that God is calling you to play. Because we say at Open Arms, we are the church. And we are called to be the church. This is our church. This is an opportunity for you to invest in the future of the church the future of the lives who have not yet heard of Jesus and fall in love with him, the future of the eternities who will be changed and transformed, the future of our children who will continue to carry on the mission and vision of open arms. I know that God is going to call you to step out generously and sacrificially. He is going to call you to sow into this financially, maybe in a way that you have never have before. I know that he's going to call you to do that and to be a part of it. He's going to call you maybe to step out and to serve in our current locations in Dublin, Kildare, or online, or to be a part of our team who will go to NACE. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray and come to God and say, God, how... How do you want me to play a part in this? Because I believe that he's the one who holds the transformational power to turn water into wine, to turn hopelessness into hope, to turn death into life. This is the time. This is the moment. This is the opportunity that I believe is the greatest opportunity that we have ever had or seen in our nation of Ireland for the Christian church to rise up, to build a large and life-giving church. And the question is, will you be part of the vision of open arms? Hey, why don't we just close our eyes where we are and we're going to pray together as one, united. Join with me in prayer as we, we pray, Lord, I pray for every single person who's hearing my voice right now, who may be feeling isolated, alone, who may be feeling deflated, who may be feeling like not a part of anything, feeling like there's no hope for their future. Lord, I pray right now that a confidence and a faith will begin to rise up within them and that they will know that you are calling them to be a part of the cause of Jesus Christ. You are calling them to step up with their shoulders back, their head held high, knowing and believing that Jesus, the same one that is living and active in us, is the one who holds transformational power. Lord, I pray for all of us with our own hopes and dreams, with our, our passions, and the miracles that we are asking for, praying for. God, I pray that we would, we would continue to believe as we release, that we will believe that what Jesus has said will be so. I pray for all of us who have the audacious faith and the audacious vision that we truly believe that you are calling us to believe and trust audaciously for what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen.